I'm James Brian Smith, and you're listening to the Things Above Podcast, Episode 1. If you missed the pilot episode and this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what I call Mind Discipleship. It's an often overlooked but really important part of our formation. This is a podcast for those who want to learn how to set their minds on things above. That's why the podcast is called Things Above. But that actually comes from Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, set your minds on things above. Dallas Willard said, wherever our mind goes, the rest of our lives go with it. Our minds, like our bodies, need nourishment. Now, we know our bodies need nutrients in order to be healthy, and they need to avoid toxins. The same is actually true of our minds. I hear people say, I want to eat clean, which is great, but I don't hear a lot of people say, I want to think clean. But that need is just as great. We need to be thoughtful about our thought life. This podcast is is designed to bring you some soul-nutritious thoughts. My wife Megan and I recently had dinner with our good longtime friends, Matt and Katherine Johnson. As I looked at the menu, I was drawn to the salmon because I really like salmon. And there was a special. And I noticed that the last thing that the menu said about the salmon special was, it's topped with micronutrients. And I didn't know what that was. So I turned to Catherine, who works with farm and art markets and knows a lot about healthy eating. I said, hey, what is a micronutrient? And she kind of lit up um, because that's her world. So she explained to me that that they are small, hence the word micro, versions of plants that are packed with nutrients, hence nutrients. So when my dish arrived, she pointed out that uh, it was topped with something that to me just looked like sprouts, but was in fact baby versions of sunflower plants. And she explained that in that little sprout was enough nutrients to create a full-blown sunflower, which I thought was amazing. Anyway, I ate it up. It was nutty and delicious. And I turned to Catherine and said, now I feel like I have superpowers. And in her dry wit, she replied, yes, you better go get your cape. I believe the same is true in our thought life. We need micronutrient thoughts. And I call these power narratives. I call them power narratives because they have, they have a kind of power within them, kind of spiritual power. They're ideas and narratives that have the power to transform us. So let's take a look at our first power narrative. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Let me tell you the origin of where that phrase came from. Because it was kind of an accident, but here's what happened. So one day I was teaching a college class on discipleship and spirituality, and I was at the blackboard and I was writing the phrases in Christ or Christ in us. And I explained to the class that Paul used one of these two phrases 89 times in his epistles. I was making the point to the class that Paul didn't self-identify as a sinner, though he knew he was a a sinner. I mean, he knew he had sin in his life. But rather, he thought of himself and of all people who are Christ followers as first and foremost, people in whom Christ dwells. So I just said to the class, just off the cuff, I said, Christians are people in whom Christ dwells. That's our identity. A student named Chris said, "Uh, Professor Smith, can you repeat what you just said? I said, sure. Uh, We're people in whom Christ dwells. And then I added, and more than that, we're people in whom Christ dwells and delights. Because it's not like, you know, God is just putting up with us, but he actually loves us, right? And we know that God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So we're people in whom Christ dwells and delights. And the moment I said that, it was as if some kind of sacred light just came on in the class. The students' faces were beaming, and I thought, what just happened? 
And then I said, that's how you should introduce yourself. You should say to people when you, when you meet them, hi, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And they kind of laughed, but I said, no, no, seriously, everybody, let's do it. Get up right now, go to every person in the class, shake their hand, greet them and say, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And they did it and they loved it. They turned to each other, they said, hi, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And as I watched them do it, I just sat back and I watched them do it. And I noticed one thing, their countenance was beaming. I could barely finish class. It was as if uh, an epiphany, some powerful reality had come over us, myself included, and that we would be forever changed. And we were. All through the school year, I would see these students in the hallway, and it really had, had taken because they would turn to me, hey, Professor Smith, in whom Christ dwells in delights. And I would say back to them, hi, Ashley, in whom Christ dwells in delights. Now, why is that phrase so powerful? Because I believe it's not of this earth. I believe that is a heavenly thought. I believe that is a thought from above, to use Paul's language. The idea that I am Christ-inhabited is powerful. Why? Because we live in a world that shames us. We live in a world that defines our value based on our physical appearance or our accomplishments or our bank account. And see, that's earthly thinking because we're in this culture. So when Paul said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, in Colossians 3, 2, he knows that there are ideas and values and narratives in our culture that we're just breathing in. And so everything is kind of constantly shaming us in those ways. So to respond to that and say, I am one in whom Christ dwells in the lights, pushes back on those earthly narratives. Now, that phrase that I just, it kind of came out, it felt like it came out of nowhere, but really... I was deeply influenced at that time by two books I was reading. One was a book by Lewis Smedes called Union with Christ, and it's a classic. I recommend it. And the other book was by James S. Stewart, not to be compared with Jimmy Stewart, but James S. Stewart called A Man in Christ. And, uh, you know, that was written a long time ago because if it was written today, it would have to be a person in Christ to be more gender inclusive. Um, but in both of those books, they, the key verse— uh, is from Galatians 2.20, which reads, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Wow. What is that saying? I've been crucified with Christ, meaning somehow I have participated in his crucifixion, right? I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So we are, we've participated by faith in his resurrection as well. Smeed's references 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Understanding that we are in Christ or Christ is in us means we're something totally new. And as Christ-inhabited people, we are all new people. Smeeds also references Romans 8, 1 and 2, which reads, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Wow. What he's saying there is those who are in Christ Jesus, right, are under no condemnation. We're also not under the law, which we can never keep. We're not under sin, the power of sin, and we're not even under the power of death. Wow. I mean, Paul's way of describing being outside of Christ are those words. He uses words like flesh, law, sin, death. That's, that's that Romans 7 kind of hellish existence where we're trying to live this life by ourselves and we can't. But being one in whom Christ dwells and delights is a proclamation of our freedom from those things. It's a proclamation of our value. 
And it's a proclamation of power, not my power or your power, but the power of Christ in us. And so another key verse to understand this is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Now, in this section, Paul has been describing his, what he calls his thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what his thorn in the flesh actually was. Some think it was, he had an eye problem, some eyesight issues. Some think it was maybe sexual temptation or some kind of moral issue. He just couldn't win the battle. But nonetheless, we don't know what it is, which is good because we can all relate to a thorn in the flesh. But Paul said that Jesus spoke to him about his thorn in the flesh and said this. This is Jesus speaking. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds to that by saying, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Even in the midst of our weaknesses, in fact, precisely because of our weaknesses, the power of Christ can emerge. I've always loved a phrase that I first heard many years ago from a man named Bob George. And I have to give him credit for it, and I have to say it like he said it, because I can't improve it. And it goes like this, Jesus gave his life for us, so that he could give his life to us, so that he could live his life through us. Now that's packed with some powerful insights. So let's start with the first. Jesus gave his life for us. What does that mean? That means that we are reconciled to God, not by what we've done, but what God in Christ has done. So by Jesus, by giving his life for us, right, his, his death on the cross, he put us into this new place where we're reconciled, where there's no condemnation, as Paul said in Romans 8. But there's more than that. So he gave his life for us. He also gave his life to us. See, because Jesus doesn't want just to get us into heaven when we die. He wants to get heaven, his life, into us now. He gave his life for us so that he could give his life to us. Finally, he wants to live his life through us. Now, why is that important? It's important because we need a power greater than ourselves to live the Christian life. That power is Christ in us, and it's our Hope of glory, Paul said in Colossians 1.27. Since I first said that phrase, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Um, and, then, and the moment I said it, uh, you know, it, I said, like I said earlier, the light just kind of went on. And I knew I need to teach this. So I've taught it to countless people and, and through my teaching and through books. And it's made a huge impact on people's lives. That's how I know it did not come from me. It came from above. Um, you know, many people have committed it to memory. And like me, they say it every day. And by doing so, they're replacing old identity narratives such as I'm a rotten sinner or I'm not good enough with I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Many have said to me or written to me telling me that this phrase, just by itself, this narrative has literally changed their lives. So I want you to put this thought from above into your mind. Let it sink into your heart. I guarantee it will transform your life. I said in the pilot episode that when possible, I want to leave you with a soul training practice. And so this week, it's pretty simple. I want to help you make that phrase a part of your everyday thinking. So what was helpful for me was I wrote it out on a three by five card. So I'd like you to get three three by five cards and write the phrase, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and put one on your bathroom mirror, because you're going to be looking there every day, and one on your dashboard, if you because you probably drive your car, I guess, if you have a motorcycle, I don't know what to do. And uh, the third one put uh, in some place that you frequent. Maybe it's your desk, or your office, or your workspace. And when you see it, say it. I mean, for example, you're, you're brushing your teeth and you look to the side of your mirror and you see the, the three by five card and you just pause right there. Even if you're brushing your teeth, just say, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I found this to be an effective way to make this thought from above become a part of my everyday thinking. 
It will shape how you see yourself and how you see others. And our identity narratives are really, really crucial. It will teach you to believe what Eugene Peterson said of all of us, that we are never to be repeated stories of grace. I love that. So I hope you'll join me next week for episode two. And until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at apprenticeinstitute.org. As always, my hope is that one day, if someone says to you, hey, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.